When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Lit Up. It's a great pleasure to speak with Kate Elizabeth Russell today about her first novel, My Dark Vanessa. Now, this novel had a lot of stir and controversy about it before it was even published. It was acquired in a big uh, publishing auction, and it's about a sexual relationship between a 15-year-old girl and her English teacher. Now, Kate started this way before the Me Too movement had even happened, but obviously it takes on um, new context uh, with where we are today, and I hope the conversation is really nuanced and uh, appropriate as well. I also have to say that our conversation was recorded before our globe was in complete lockdown and in chaos. And so um, I feel like every conversation from here on in will acknowledge that in some way. It's really hard to talk about books that mean something without talking about what is happening to us now and how their work reflects the times we're living in. Um, yeah, so hopefully these conversations can be a little reprieve and a remembrance of another slightly more simpler time just a few weeks ago. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's my great pleasure to have Kate Elizabeth Russell on Lit Up today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. Now, um, I work with an incredible book scout and he was the one that told me about your book and he said that it's going to be the book of 2020 oh, and you have to read it. And he really didn't tell me anything about it. Mm -hmm. So I started reading and opened it up and it has this blurb um, from Stephen King mm -hmm. that says a well-constructed package of dynamite and it really is but I didn't know that it was going to be about um, sexual abuse mm -hmm. and so um, I just want to warn listeners that that is what um, the book is about right. and the book yes. we're here to talk about is your kind of complex, riveting um, and disturbing debut novel, My Duck, Vanessa. Yes. Because okay, my first experience of the book was reading the dedication. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to reread it now. It's for the real life Dolores Hayes and Vanessa Wise, whose stories have not yet been heard, believed or understood. Now, um, obviously, Dolores Hayes was... Um, the girl in Lolita. Yes, yes. And I want to know when you first read Lolita and what your um, complicated feelings were about the sure. book. Yeah. I first read Lolita when I was 14. Um, and the, the circumstances that sort of led me to reading it are... I think kind of sweet in hindsight, but also a little a little troubling. Um, in that I had a crush on a musician, a famous musician. I remember reading an article in which that musician said that Lolita was his favorite book, and so I was like, "What is this book?" I, I'd kind of heard of it. I'd heard the term before. I had an idea of what it was about, um, and then I read it, and. Um, it broke my mind open, both as a aspiring writer. It was one of the first pieces of writing I'd read that made me um, just want to write. You know, that was sort of around the age that I started reading adult novels. Um, and so it affected me in that way. But also as a 14-year-old girl reading that book, realizing, like, this is a way that men see 
potentially men see girls like me. And that paired with looking around at the time and realizing the way that our culture sexualizes teenage girls, it, like, to say that that was confusing is an understatement, right? Um, And that's really what propelled me to start writing. And that was the seed of this book, was trying to make sense of that um, and working through that and trying to figure it out through fiction is just what came naturally to me. Um, But at the same time, Lolita is still one of my favorite pieces of literature. I can still read it and get something new out of it and um, get a lot of enjoyment out of reading it. But even even as a teenage girl reading it, I I saw Dolores and what was happening to her through the whole novel, there are these glimpses. You see um, her, you know, descriptions of her crying every night, descriptions of her really struggling. And I saw those because as a young girl, I was looking for her because I was so interested in her in the book. Um, but I think it's easy it's easy for readers to, to forget that she was a real girl. Um, and so wanting to make sure that readers coming to my book never forgot that there was a real girl at the center of this story and at the center of all of these stories was really important to me. And so Vanessa Y, who's your girl, yes, um, was it Vanessa that came to you when you first started writing? Was it her voice? Was it inhabiting her? It was. It wasn't so much her voice as much as it was that conflicting super, super complicated feeling of being a girl that age and feeling eyes on you, older eyes, adult eyes taking you in and sexualizing you, yes, but also making you feel special and treasured and put up on a pedestal. being true to that feeling, even as a young, even as a kid, I, I perceived that and was really interested in that because I also felt the danger in that, in the precarity of it. Um, and as I got older, this question of what, what does it mean and what are the effects of being made to believe that the most beautiful, most interesting version of yourself was 16 years old? Like, what do you, where do you go? Where do you go from there? Um, and in Lolita, you don't ever really see it because she, spoiler alert, she dies at the, <laughs> at the end. She never gets a chance um, to grow up. And in My Dark Vanessa, I wanted to, to see, you know, to explore what happens when you are 32 and this had, hap- had happened to you when you were a teenager and just where you go from there. It made me cast back and remember that moment of being a teenage girl when you feel a certain um, a power or it's this new feeling of noticing people see you in a different way. Right. And uh, there's a moment in the book where Vanessa thinks, I have power, power to make it happen, power over him. I was an idiot for not realising it sooner. Can you describe... Um, what leads up to this moment and also um, I guess I want to make a comment um, about how precious those how when we're young we can think we have a power Mm -hmm. and it's only because of our innocence almost that we think we have control over certain situations and I think I just remember being compelled towards, hurtling towards a situation that Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted because I'd seen it on TV or I was mimicking Mm -hmm. what older women did and I thought I knew what happened. Mm -hmm. But because of the kind of sexual inexperience, I had no idea what even making a small movement towards something could kind of unravel what could unravel like what what room you could find yourself in and I mean that kind of metaphorically mm-hmm. and I guess um what's the opposite you know <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> um 
So I wondered if you can speak both to that, because I think it's something that I hadn't thought about in a long time and mm-hmm. your writing was able to make so clear um, those kind of murky thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that moment of her that comes after, so through, for like the first 50 pages or so of the book especially, um, you see Strain, the, the teacher character, um, who Vanessa becomes sexually romantically involved with as a teenager, you see him taking this slow approach towards her. And it was important for me to make that slow approach clearly be read as grooming, you know, um, which is something I think as a, as a culture we're becoming more educated about, about what that looks like and, and um, sort of the, the quote-unquote warning signs of it. But from Vanessa's point of view, it feels like being seduced. And I think it's really hard to distinguish the two because Strain as a character, he's, he's being so careful and how he approaches her. Um, And that can feel really similar to uh, sort of an ordinary beginning of a relationship courtship when you're, you know, unsure and you're taking like small movements towards each other. Um, But Strain, as part of his approach towards her, he gives her a copy of Lolita, which is so blatant, which is meant to be so blatant to the reader. Um, And you're sort of, you know, reading it horrified, watching what's happening on the page. But then you also see Vanessa reading the novel and relating to it in a way that... um, allows her to think of herself as the powerful one because that's the way, you know, that's the way that book is written, that this that this girl or this type of girl has an immense power over older men. And Vanessa sort of interprets that and sees herself as being powerful. And then she decides to be just a little bit more proactive, like you said, just making like a pretty small movement towards him and that's all it took that's all it takes and um that is I think one of the first moments in a long series of moments that uh, that you see occur over the course of a couple of decades of her life that she looks back on and thinks like oh well (laughs) how could I be a victim if I did that how could I be a victim if I if I wanted it or that I that I saw myself as powerful? If I was powerful, then I couldn't have been a victim. Um, and so it's so insidious this type of this type of abuse and manipulation. Um, yeah, complicated to put it lightly. <laughs> sure is. I want to go back to what you said about how um, potent it is when someone you admire thinks you have talent. Mm. And it made me think back to the teachers I'd had. And I went to an all-girls school and they, some of those women changed my life with their encouragement, with their um, sometimes praise, with their admonishing me when I hadn't put in the work. And it made me imagine being that vulnerable and that hopeful and having that being taken advantage of mm-hmm. um I know you're a teacher now mm-hmm. and I'm wondering how your experience of teaching informed the book like what it's like to have those faces right yeah. and that it is power and it's so precious mm-hmm. that I love this question. I love it because I've thought about this so much and I thought about it so much when I was working on the book, especially in my PhD program. Um, I first started teaching when I was 22. Um, That was when I entered my master's program and all of a sudden I had a classroom and I was barely older than my students. I mean, some of my students were my age or even older, Um, but it wasn't until... um, around like age 30 when I was in the PhD program and teaching and I was had a little bit more distance from my students and I was also like really deep in in writing this book and it made me certainly think about my own power as a teacher and and realizing how certainly the vulnerability too of the students uh, thinking how easy it 
um, being able to imagine how easy it would be to manipulate or to take advantage of the vulnerability in front of you. But even more than that, realizing how easy it is not to, how easy it is to be careful and to be thoughtful and to be selfless and and have your students best interest in, in mind at all times like that's hard work but the alternative is is for me unthinkable as a teacher um which that was sort of devastating to realize like the the scope of the betrayal that strain you know uh, this strain does towards Vanessa that any teacher would do in that situation. And it's, it was also um, difficult too. This isn't so much about teaching, but just being faced with um, what like a teenager actually looks like. Like my students, I I always taught undergraduates, but where I was living, um, in Kansas where I was doing my PhD, it was like across the street from the public high school. And I'd see kids getting out of high school, like walking home with their backpacks and being like, oh my God, that's the age that Vanessa is. And being like in your thirties and like, like they're kids, they're just kids. And that, that is like heartbreaking in and of itself. Because when you're a teenager, you think you're, you know, you think you're grown up, you think you're an adult. Um, and being confronted with the reality of that, yeah, was was difficult, but necessary, necessary to the writing process. There's a line in the book that's particularly devastating, and it's something that Strain says to Vanessa uh, later um, in the years um, post-high school, and it is, I would never have done it if you weren't so willing. And I couldn't stop thinking about that line um, because I think it goes back to what you said about um, it kind of ties in so much shame because if I if I was willing, even if I was, you know, even if she was willing to go to his classroom, um, which is not a, a kind of overtly forward act, mm-hmm. you know, just to go right. and sit there and ha- get want attention mm-hmm. from someone who's saying you're a gifted poet. Um, but how do predators like this use that type of language to shame the people that they've abused? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, thinking of Strain specifically, um, I wanted to make him really perceptive um, and and smart and show that he is watching both Vanessa really, really closely, but also that he understands the culture that she's growing up in. And so the instance of him saying, like, I would never have done this if you were so willing, what he's he's saying that, and he knows this, I think, he he knows that this is within the context of of what we how we learned consent. That consent means saying yes. Um, and or at that it the difference between rape and sex is state of mind that's another thing that Vanessa sort of tells herself and that's how I learned that's that that's how I learned to frame um consent and willingness um but in the context of the book that I wrote I hope that it comes across to the reader that that's um an incomplete way to to think about the issue and certainly to teach it um to kids but then also there's another point in the book when um Vanessa remembers Strain talking to her about victimhood and how women choose victimhood um because it's it's comforting or, or it relieves them of responsibility and um that I think that's a moment that shows how much he's thought about this. Um, and he says to Vanessa that the world has a has a vested interest in keeping her helpless, but so does he, right? Um, and so I wanted to show him using this culture that already exists, helping him co-opting that culture to to help enable his own abuse. When talking about victimhood, there is a 
a defining moment in the book when another student comes out yes. and, and reveals what he had done to her. And she has a very different perspective. She very clearly says that this was sexual abuse. And this is something that really um, challenges Vanessa's way of thinking about what happened to her and her entire adulthood. And why was it so important to have these two different perspectives and have these two women can kind of confront each other about, I mean, both has disdain for the other in a certain way, mm-hmm. understanding and disdain. Yeah, I mean, on a craft level, just thinking out purely as a writer, it introduced a, a, an urgency, like a conflict, that it helped me um, sort of give purpose for the story like this story needs to be told at this moment in the character's life because this huge life-changing thing is happening of this other student coming forward and accusing the teacher of abuse um so in that sense it it was necessary for the book just as a piece of fiction um but thematically um and even like morally i felt it was really important to show that um, victims are not a monolith, right? There's there's diversity of reaction. There's diversity of, of, of trauma and how trauma is processed, how trauma is reacted to. Um, and that trying to challenge this idea that, um, that just because you were harmed and manipulated, um, in a similar way or even by the same person means that your experiences are the same. That's, that's not true. That can't be true. Um, and in earlier drafts of the book, Vanessa and Taylor, the other, the other former student, um, who comes forward, never met face to face. Um, their correspondence was all like over email and, 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 um, they they never sat down in front of each other, but as I kept revising, it, I felt like those two characters, they kept getting closer and closer together until finally I was like, I have to get them in a room and just sit down and talk to each other. And um, that was one of the hardest scenes to write, but it's one of the ones I'm most proud of because I, I, I let the characters lead me to that point, even if I, I think I was a little scared I think I was a little apprehensive to to go there because I wasn't sure I'd ever seen that done before. I'm sure it has been done before, but I just couldn't, you know, I I, I, I wasn't quite sure how to go about it to have two victims disagreeing with each other. And, and like you said, having disdain for each other and maybe even like blaming one another. Um, that's not the story that I think a lot of people necessarily want to read but I it it was right it was right for this book and and I think it's important too I really do this book has taken up I read nearly half of your life so it's been I'm sure utterly uh, absorbing and Is it true that many people tried to warn you away from continuing? Yes. And it's like, I think looking back, like, well, I wrote so much of this book while in creative writing programs. I studied creative writing as an undergrad, went straight into a MFA program, then took a few years off and then did a PhD in creative writing. Um, So being in creative writing programs was really, it was really necessary for me um, because I didn't have access to um, sort of the writing life without those programs. I was, I was always good at school um, and 
being in a writing program was a way for me to be able to identify as a writer, be taken seriously as a writer, and just have access to that world. Um, but at the same time, when you're writing in programs where you, you're taking workshops and you have to always be showing your work to others and getting feedback, it can it can hinder you and it can it can end up being really difficult, maybe especially if you're writing something that others perceive as risky. Um, and I would, you know, I would get feedback that would not necessarily, I think, come from a bad place, but it came from a place of not understanding and maybe not taking seriously this character because she's a teenage girl or because she, um, she's a little, you know, difficult, difficult to understand, difficult, maybe sometimes to empathize with. Um, and so I, I would get I, I would be encouraged to like write from the teacher's perspective because I think that was a lot more familiar to people because we you know we've all read Lolita it's the same you know basically yeah, the same why perspective would you do that again? Right? <laughs> um or if I you know I was always working on this book but I was also writing short stories about entirely different things and and um often I remember if I'd turn in something that was really different, I'd get this response like, oh, that's so good for you doing something else. Like, that's so good, like writing something else and and um, not working on this thing that you've always been carrying around, which always felt a little condescending. Um, but it's, I was just so stubborn. I was so stubborn. It never occurred to me to give up on this book because I felt so deeply committed so deeply committed to it. Um, and so I always kind of had the mindset, especially once I got a little bit older, especially in my PhD program where I was like, I'm finishing this book no matter what. If someone didn't get it, if someone didn't understand it and was discouraging, I just sort of thought, well, they're not my reader and they're not, they're not going to give me good feedback. Um, but when I was younger, it was more difficult. It was, yeah. I think we're still dealing with that hierarchy of which stories are seen as important. Did you feel that coming through an MFA and a PhD program, that that maybe was part of the criticism or the undercurrent? I think so. I do, especially in hindsight, um, which it's maybe it's easy to frame to frame the discouragement or, or criticism in that way. But I remember even in workshops in my PhD program uh, when other students might turn in stories that were written from perspectives of really powerful and even abusive characters. I remember times of being, um, you know, one of the only voices in the workshop questioning, like, do we need more stories from characters like that? Like, I'm not really interested in reading a story from the perspective of an abusive character. I'm more interested in in these other characters whose, you know, stories I'm not familiar with that I haven't heard before. And and that that felt like I was maybe introducing that introducing an idea to some people that they hadn't thought of before. Um, but it's I don't know. All you can hope is that you write something and put it out in the world and that it will reach people and hopefully on some level make them make them think in a in a new in a new way. Um, though at the same time, that feels so lofty to have as your goal. But oh. I think it's absolutely valid in your case. <laughs> yes. Also in the book, um, it the time frame is the year 2000 to 2017 and my kind of sense from listening to you is that that's I mean almost the time it took you to write the book Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking back to the 2000s the early 2000s or the the 90s and how we I would say did not I will say we meaning me um, we, I, we didn't, I, I, oh, wow. Isn't that interesting how hard that is to do <laughs> because I'm about to talk about identifying as a feminist because we hadn't had this kind of big awakening. 
it definitely wasn't in my consciousness then. This is in Sydney, Australia, in the 2000s at university. I wasn't doing gender studies classes or women's studies. So it wasn't around. And yet now there has been this seismic shift. Mm -hmm. Why was it important to both um, to choose those kind of endpoints? And how do you think the conversation has changed? Yeah, the, um, the decision to set it for her as a teenager in the 2000s, that's when I was a teenager too. And so um, it was easy for me to, to set it in, those, in that time period for that reason. But also I had so many memories of um, seeing examples of young girls being labeled Lolita. Um, I use in the book like Britney Spears as an example. And she was someone who, um, as a teenager, I really, I really liked. I, I liked her music. I liked her. She seemed so sweet and cool. And, and then at the same time, she was being treated um, by adults like in the media in these in these ways that felt so clearly wrong to me like her being asked Brittany are you a virgin Brittany have you had a boob job like she was a teenage girl um and that seems so so clearly unfair to me um so clearly wrong but it felt at the time like everyone else thought it was totally normal and totally acceptable um and so I wanted to set it Set, teenage, set Vanessa's teenage years in that time period where I could point to these cultural references that I hoped readers would remember. Um, and in that way, I would be able to sort of nudge the reader, almost be like, hey, do you remember? Do you remember that? Like, looking back, like, wasn't that kind of wrong? Um, and then having the book span to... 2017, I always wanted it to span a, a long time to show um, the the consequences this relationship had on her life um, in in a way that's that spanned a long period of time because I do think a lot of these um, the symptoms of trauma when it's sort of um, simmering under the surface for a long time they can emerge in these really different and, and difficult ways and I wanted to show that in Vanessa's character um but in in earlier drafts of the book I had it set I think in 2015 just because it was even like 15 years in the future of this other student coming forward and accusing the teacher of abuse but then Me Too happened um and it was surreal watching um, something play out in the real world in this major cultural moment that reflected so closely this thing that I had written. Um, but I realized that this was this was something that I could lean into and engage with. Um, meaning me too. And so I moved the story up a couple of years and just kind of tried to tried to face it head on. And um, it I didn't I would never want the book to be read as opportunistic in terms of of me too, but I tried to see me too as an opportunity for me like on a craft level and knowing that I could I could rely on the reader being familiar with certain concepts and certain ideas that maybe I couldn't um, pre me too with things like like the question of why a victim might be reluctant to come forward. Um, I could rely on readers having some level of understanding of what happens to someone's life once they decide to do that and how it doesn't always necessarily bring relief and good things that it can actually, you know, kind of tear someone's life apart even more. Um, I'm not sure if people, the average reader would have necessarily thought that through before me too. So there, I think um, we are entering into at least a new understanding of this issue and and it's still it's still so surreal to me that I ended up finishing this book that I worked on for such a long time at this moment when 
this is on so many people's minds. I read um, Miranda Popke's book, Topics of Conversation, mm-hmm. and I watched The Newsroom. What's the Apple show? Um, the, the Morning oh, Show. The Morning Show. And all of a sudden, and I read, she said, mm-hmm. um, so it feels like, um, I, I was saying earlier that even being kind of in my late 30s, I feel like I'm only just learning the language for mm-hmm. these things that have happened to, you know, on a, I guess, to myself in some cases, to friends I know, to women I read about. And um, I'm just kind of shocked at my own lack of I don't know, understanding about it before. But I think that's kind of the shock of of reading about all these experiences and how it um, makes you remember things about your own life that I had there are things I had just glossed over or had I thought weren't odd or strange or that having that many years between you you know with a teacher is a bad idea Um, and that actually it's not your responsibility as a student it is the teacher or it is the boss it is the person in power's responsibility to not let a situation escalate Mm -hmm. because the fallout is always on the woman so often this is obvious now and i'm glad i hope young women read this book i think which should be studied. That's amazing. That's amazing to hear. I mean, it's, and that's what I wanted. That's what I, that's what I want. That's my, uh, to have readers come away from the book wanting to talk about it, wanting to unpack it, not just because of what is in the book, but because of what it might make you remember or revisit or rethink. I've had so many people already come up to me at these sort of pre-publication events I've been doing who have read the book and say like this happened to my friend this happened at my school or even like this happened to me and um I think there is a a willingness now for us to talk about it to engage with this yes really difficult subject matter but I think we see the importance of it like this has gone on for so long. Why didn't we see it? Why didn't anyone do anything? Why weren't the the people who were supposed to be looking out for us when we were young? Like, why, why didn't they do a better job? And these are such difficult questions to ask. And there certainly aren't easy answers. But I think as a culture, we're ready to take them on. We're ready to have this conversation. And I'm just, I'm humbled and honored that my book might be part of that. Mm. I think too, reading the book helped me recognize the signs that if if we're having conversations about these things, particularly, you know, teenage girls should be having them. They should be having classes about actually these things happen these this is what grooming looks like if there is a age plus power imbalance I think so often parents think oh if we don't mention it they won't it won't happen to happen to them Mm -hmm. but in fact there's so many ways to prevent things and for friends to look out for each other instead of kind of keeping silent Mm -hmm. I just remember back to high school and the rumors yeah it's so interesting to me to think of rumors and gossip and stories or as just that's how uh, testimony is framed when it's not verified by people in power if people in power hear something they don't want to hear and and dismiss it and discredit it, I feel like then it can become, oh, then it's just a rumor. And so I I thought about this a lot while I was um, writing the book, like rethinking or or sort of redefining what gossip and rumor or, or like whisper networks 
redefining what those are, that that's just a method of communication among the the disempowered. And um, specifically in my book, thinking of that as like teenage girls, like those are the, the, the warnings and the stories that they tell each other. And it's, it's easy to frame all of that as unverifiable gossip and rumor, but those are just stories that are inconvenient and, and, and speaking truth to power in a lot of cases that, that the powerful don't want to hear or don't want to believe. Um, and so thinking of, of like how that rumor might have traveled to, to you at the school down the street, you know, like that's um, imagining like teenage kids just passing it on, maybe presenting it as um, as just like a hot topic of conversation or like juicy gossip. But at the same time, you could think of it on some level as as you all sort of warning each other and trying to look out for each other, which I find really, really heartbreaking, but um, so compelling, so compelling to think about. So we're talking before the book has come out. So I can only imagine how... Um, the response it's going to have out in the world. What was the additional research that you did to kind of anchor the, I mean, I guess particularly the trauma and the way that's portrayed to make sure it was not only, you know, that it was compelling and accurate Mm -hmm. and responsible? Yeah, I read as much as I could, um, about trauma. And that happened um, in the years between my MFA and my PhD. I started um, learning about trauma. And, and one of the first texts I read was called Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman. And that's sort of one of these foundational texts of contemporary trauma theory. She was one of the first um, to question um, how PTSD was something that we always had assigned to veterans of war um and she took a step back and said well maybe it's not so maybe this isn't something that solely belongs to military veterans but actually women in civilian life are you know dealing with trauma on a daily basis um and that was groundbreaking in the 90s when that was published and that then led me to um more sort of dense academic texts on on trauma theory um, and looking at how trauma is rendered on the page. Like, how do you you write a flashback? How do you write a scene of sexual abuse that isn't titillating, that isn't gratuitous, but is still honest and and accurate? Um, This was something I was almost obsessed with in in terms of reading and researching. Um, But then also trying to read as much as I could, like just literature, regardless of genre, anything that dealt with sexual abuse. Um, I feel like I I consumed um, out of a desire to to make sure that I got it right. And then it, it got to a point where I started to see Vanessa and the relationship dynamic she has with strain I started to see that in so many things like um in unexpected places in 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 um movies or tv shows that weren't dealing with sexual abuse but I saw that imbalance of power and I saw you know sort of um traces of Vanessa everywhere so at at some point the research process almost became it began to take over me where I was always researching because Vanessa was the filter. Like I saw everything through. That's so interesting because I think reading the book, it's kind of, as I said, it kind of triggers memories or rumors or things, but it also, it makes you look at the world in a different way. And I think seeing maybe observing relationships that I hadn't thought of the power dynamic or the power imbalance in such stark terms. And I'm not saying the things I'm thinking about even have abuse involved, Mm -hmm. but just thinking of relationships and what they mean and what is the trade-off between these two people. What happens when there is a power imbalance? Mm -hmm. Is there a financial power imbalance? Or who uses the power 
because um, there can be all these things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very rare to find a partner or a person that we're a complete, you know, equals with in all these different parts of our lives. Hopefully a kind of healthy relationship, it's not about power. Right, right. right. Um, yeah, like I'm I'm married um, to some... I, my marriage is so cozy and good and comfortable and supportive and and wonderful. And I think being in a relationship like that for the first time in my life actually added um, a lot to the writing process, being able to look back maybe on my own life, but certainly just think about Vanessa um, from this space of security and, and realizing that it's, it is possible to be in a relationship that is um, loving and good. Um, it, I think it made me more critical looking at certainly the relationship between Vanessa and Strain, but also past relationships that I'd had with people my own age where there wasn't an obvious power imbalance, but how easily a relationship can become imbalanced um, if, the, if the people involved aren't careful with one another Mm. it's made me more aware of how much I've absorbed the norms or the the kind of cultural norms that seem to be okay and now I'm questioning all of those so so much more Mm -hmm. um which I guess this whole moment is helping with yeah and it's it's I think it's really hard because um it's it's scary to start to rethink, to rethink one thing because then that can make you rethink. It can have a domino, a domino effect. Um, and I wanted to show Vanessa having a little bit of that, not just not just in the 2017 plot line where she's so focused on rethinking her own life and her relationship with Strain, but also the section where she's in college and, and that section set in like 2006, 2007, where she's in a she's in another academic setting and but all of a sudden it's like it's okay for professors to marry their students at these ages but then a few you know a few years ago when she was in boarding school it wasn't okay um and i think that's still something that's accepted like um i i think it's frowned upon but i it's it's a gray area um professors dating undergrads but is that okay should that 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 was something that I wanted a question I wanted to raise um, because I think it's easy to draw lines in the sand and and pretend like well 18 you know 18 then you're a legal adult then everything's okay it's like that doesn't does that make sense I don't I don't buy it I don't buy it um, but then if you if you um, sort of go there then then where is the line? I think it's, but maybe there isn't one. It's so complicated, but it, we have to engage with it um, rather than pretend that there are easy answers to any of this. Yeah. Just to end on, and thank you for this incredible conversation. I'm wondering if there are any books maybe that you read to lean into the joy of life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it's, you know, it's, it is, it's called My Dark Vanessa for reasons, and it is really dark. Um, but how maybe in your life with your husband or even how you connected to the joy while also um, immersing yourself in this dark material for so long? Yeah, that's such a good question. And my mind, as soon as you asked that, my mind immediately went blank. No, like, I'm sure. Totally but one, one thing, one book that comes to mind, um, and it's also dark, but, but focused on teenage friendships between girls um, that was really important to me and that I tried to bring in to the novel um, is Marlena by Julie Bunton. That was a I had her on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so she, I, I love that book. I love it so much. Um, that closeness, that bond between the two, the two girls in that novel are, I think that's just so well done. And that was something that I wanted Vanessa to have, but I knew she couldn't. She couldn't because if she did, then I think her life 
probably would have gone a, a, a different way, a better way. Um, but I, um, there, are, there are moments in the book where she, where she has these connections with other girls. And, and um, so those were sort of the, the bits of joy. But then also, um, not a book, but just, I have a dog. I love a dog. She's like the love, the love of my life. And my husband understands that that's, he's, he's not number two, but sometimes he comes in second to the dog. Um, and at the, when I got to the end of, of the novel, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to end it. And I had one of my friends read a draft and she was like, what about, what about a dog? Like you love dogs. Why not just like bring in something that brings you comfort and that you love and give it to Vanessa. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so just wanting to, let her have something that made my life better and give it to her. That was the, that was, um, yeah, it felt like a fitting ending. That is the perfect place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Kate Elizabeth Russell. I really hope we brought the nuance to this important conversation in the way that we should have. I'd love to hear how we did. Let me know at Lit Up Show on Instagram and Twitter. And I hope everyone's doing well out there considering this really difficult time. Hopefully we can all share the books we're reading. I'm really, really looking for funny escapist books so please keep those recommendations coming and i can try and interview those authors for you sending love to everyone vacation starts with va one thing you'll love about your trip to virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing all that you love is all in one trip start yours at virginia.org Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.